HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Threes Brewing, a Brooklyn-based brewery making beers you'll want to revisit over and over again, carefully crafted and gladly shared. Visit Threes at 333 Douglas Street in Gowanus or learn more at threesbrewing.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode number 68 of Feast Your Ears, and uh, this one is not just about people, life, and food. It's also about airplanes and flying. Uh, I'm happy to have Chris Wolmer on the line today, and uh, Chris is an on-call pilot, and so he could get whisked away at any moment to go and uh, fly somewhere. So thanks, Chris, for taking time out of your on-call day to, uh, to join me. My pleasure, Aaron. Uh, so, Chris, can you uh, can you introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about what that means to be on call as a pilot? Yeah, sure can. Uh, I guess the, as you said, the the most interesting part of it is the uh, not knowing what's what's happening next. So, right, you could get called at any time. Um, you know, I do have set days off each uh, each month, twelve days off a month. Um, the other days, I'm I'm uh, at the company's beck and call. And is that 24-7? Like your phone could ring at 3 in the morning and they say, we need you to come and fly somewhere? Well, it, it does change day to day what uh, what time we're on call. I see. Um, but it's a 10-hour period. So, it you know, it, it, on, a, on a given day, like let's say today I started at 9, which means I'll be finished by 7. So if they don't uh, call me by then, then I'm, then I'm free free to go. Got it. So, so you have a, a, you know, it must be a really interesting... Uh, way that you end up scheduling your life so you can do some things <laughs> like this radio interview right in the middle of the day um but right, but you right. could get a, a call or a text while we're speaking um and they could say you have to show up at the airport now you fly for jet blue correct that is correct yeah um and the, the other thing i would add is uh 
there's a minimum of two hours notice they can give you. So got it. Um, you know, I, I do have a little bit of time to to you know get myself together, put the uniform on, and head out to the airport. So um, you can do things near the house. Um, I've I've gone as far as uh, out to the Rockaways to the beach while I was on call, and well, that puts you pretty close to JFK, right? Your, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's close to JFK, and uh, you know, if I if I get called, I I just go grab the car and go to the airport, put the uniform on, and go to work. So right, right. You have a little bit of freedom on your on your on call day. Cool. Um, how long have you been? Uh, have, how long have you been a pilot? Um, twenty years now. So since I was twenty four for the airlines, and I actually uh, first got my private pilot license all the way back uh, when I was eighteen, which was in. Oh boy, nineteen ninety. Wow. So, uh, yeah. so you've seen. So, uh, I, I imagine you've seen a lot of changes uh, in the industry, uh, starting starting your career before September eleventh, two thousand one, and then going beyond that. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nine uh, eleven took a lot of. Uh, took well, obviously it took people by surprise, sure. and, it, and it just really changed. Kind of the, the attitude, um, you know, the, the, the biggest change that we saw was a lot of times um, some of the smaller aircraft didn't even have a cockpit door, and um, on the bigger aircraft, oftentimes we would just uh, leave it open. Or, right. you know, if you had a, um, an inter- interested child on the flight, they might come up and, and you might show them around a little bit during the flight, and that's uh, strictly against policy anymore. That, that door stays locked. Right until uh, until the end of the now. flight, right? Usually, I mean, I, I feel like I sometimes see the pilot sort of, uh, you know, with the door open at the end of the flight if I'm getting off a commercial flight. Absolutely, um, before and after, we're 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 more than happy to have people come up and say hello and and do a little tour of the cockpit if they want, um, but it has to be before or after we push back from the gate or right. arrive back at the gate. Right. Yeah. So, as pilots, then are are you stuck there? I mean, the door is is effectively locked. Yeah, essentially we are. Um, you know, we will come out and and take a bathroom break on some of the longer flights. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, and when we do that, the uh, we'll always have a flight attendant. We'll come up to the cockpit uh, while one of us goes back, and and that is that's specifically a U.S. procedure. I, I know you probably remember uh, uh, an accident in Europe where one of the pilots went out to go to the bathroom, and the other the other pilot essentially locked him out. Yep, um, and that that led to an accident. So their policies are are changing over there, but mm. that's always been a U.S. policy since we installed the, the doors. Got it. Um, and so, when uh, when you when you started uh, training to be a pilot, I mean, was that was that something that you knew you wanted to do as a kid? I mean, did you have your sights set on being a commercial airline pilot for a career? Yeah, I, I did. Um, I, I guess I had a very a very common story for pilots where my, my father was a pilot I um, and got me interested in it uh, pretty early on. He was he didn't work for the airlines. He was always in general aviation, um, but I had done a, a few flights with him as a, as a kid, and he let me, uh, you know, mess around in the controls a little bit more and more <laughs> as, I, as I got older, and I, I got more interested in it, and I went to... As soon as I went to school down at the University of Illinois, um, I started in the aviation program down there and started to build my time and get all my ratings. 
Um, and so now, I mean, so the the ratings, as I understand it, have to do with what uh, what jets you are allowed to fly. Is that make, is that right? Like you know, size wise yeah. and engine configuration and yeah, that kind of thing. Um, there's there's certain the the basic rating. So you'll you get your private pilot rating, which just allows you to uh, fly around and uh, maybe take up friends for sightseeing flights, things like that. Um, and then you work up towards uh, instrument rating and commercial ratings, which then allow you to fly in in uh, inclement weather. And uh, the commercial allows you to fly people for hire. Um, and that kind of segues into other ratings that you get and specific ratings for the airplanes as you're talking about. So right now I fly uh, an Airbus A320, which you go through about a, a month-long specific course to learn the airplane itself. And how, how different are they between different? I mean, the two big manufacturers, right, are Airbus and Boeing. Um, I don't, Correct. I mean, when I feel like when I was a kid, you used to see like, uh, McDonnell Douglas, you know, MD 11s and stuff, or what is that right? It's an MD 11. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see those yeah. anymore. Um, so are the, are the airplanes, uh, very different to fly? Uh, the, the specific manufacturers airplanes are very similar, especially Airbus. Um, each aircraft they make, regardless of the size, they make the cockpits almost exactly the same. Mm. Um, Boeing, it depends on the model. Some of them are very different. Uh, the 737, because it came out so long ago, the uh, the cockpit is quite a bit different from one of their newer planes, say the, the 777 or the 787, the Dreamliner. God. Uh, there have been so many technological advancements. Right. So, Do you have a favorite aircraft to fly in the in the commercial fleet yeah uh interestingly enough you were talking about airplanes uh and companies that don't exist anymore and i i was lucky enough to fly the lockheed l-1011 um and lockheed is still making military aircraft they're no longer making commercial aircraft however um and that that airplane was the biggest one that i've flown um in different configurations that held up to uh 325 people Oh, wow. Um, looked very similar to a DC-10, if you don't remember, the, yep. the airplane had two engines, one under each, uh, three engines total, one under each wing and one on the tail. Yep. Yeah. And what, I mean, what was it, what, what is it specifically about that plane that you, that you like uh, as a pilot? Good question. It was, uh, interestingly, planes seem to have gotten, uh, some of the planes have gotten slower over the years. Huh. Um, this one was was quite a bit faster than the Airbus that I fly now. Oh wow! Um, and it, it was it was almost over engineered, you might say. It had so much redundancy in its systems and controls. Uh, it was just a, a real pleasure to fly. Uh, not not that airplanes aren't a pleasure to fly now. It's just sure. this one for for having come out in the 1970s was was very technologically advanced and right. beyond its time. <clears throat> You mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned the redundancies, and and certainly the technology has has you know has really increased um, recently, or you know, in in the re- in recent decades. Um, you know, as a pilot, how much how much active work do you do in the cockpit? And I'm not, you know, not saying that it isn't, you know, that you're not doing work, but I mean, as far as actually physically flying the plane, is the you know is the plane flying by computer? Are you holding the yoke the whole flight? Yeah, quite a bit of it is is by computer, um, and we we do have 
I, I guess, the option to let the computer do as much as, as we like. Uh, most pilots will will fly the, the takeoff and the climb um, and up to maybe 10,000 feet or so before we turn the autopilot on. Hmm. Um, and then we're, we're still controlling the airplane, um, heading and altitude, climbs and descents, things like that, through the autopilot. So you're right. still... <laughs> You know, twisting twisting dials as it, as it were, um, and then we usually take back over, you know, maybe a couple thousand feet above the ground and fly the approach and landing. Um, although most modern aircraft now will will do a landing all on their own once wow. you set it up. Huh. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that's similar technology that eventually we'll see self driving cars, right? Absolutely, uh, can't wait for the day. <laughs> um, yeah, you know the with airplanes, I I hope that of course I have a job, but um, it, it's neat to see the technology come out where the computers can do more and more for you, and and hopefully eliminate some of the human error, which you know we've we've eliminated a lot in the airline world, but certainly not not on the roads. Right. Absolutely. Um, do you have a you know, uh, I've heard the the sort of cross country or like you know the big routes um, referred to as kind of like highways of the sky. Um, is that you know yes. is that an accurate description of it? Like when you're flying a cross country route? Yeah, it's it's actually changed a little bit over over the years as as GPS has taken more of a role. So we used to fly from uh, ground based navigational beacons. You would fly from one position to the next to the next as you. As you crisscross the country, and now there's more, uh, uh, you know, we just call them direct routes. Mm. So you might you might be somewhere over Iowa, flying out towards the West Coast, and they'll say, you know, you can go direct to um, Las Vegas at this point, um, or something that would normally have been too far away to pick up a signal from a ground-based beacon. Right. Whereas, as now using the GPS, it can you know locate a position. To within, um, you know, ten feet or so vertically, <laughs> and ten feet or so laterally, and, and fly direct to that position. Sure, and uh, very accurate. Yeah, and and do you feel? I mean, obviously, you know, you have a different perspective on flying from the cockpit than those of us who are sitting in the plane as passengers do. I often, you know, spend some time looking out the window, and you see other other planes. Um, you know, do you see more planes out the front? Like, are, are you know, are, are often on a on a flight? Are you following right behind other planes in the same path? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Um, out over open water, if you're flying down to the Caribbean, say, or over to Europe, uh, we do fly on specific routes. So the GPS navigation that I was talking about that we might use over land, uh, we're still using the GPS to fly a certain track, but we're, we're all flying over the same path going um, out over the water. And that's because there's you know less VHF communication out over the water and uh, they they want planes in certain specific places at specific times uh, to keep track of everything and and keep the the separation which I think you were probably getting at as well which is vertical and uh, horizontal right. separate from other aircraft right so. absolutely do you have a uh, do you have a, a favorite or a least favorite route to fly <laughs> that's a good question too I, I I'm always more interested by air, uh, airports that kind of provide a little bit more difficulty so maybe it's a shorter runway or there's mountainous terrain involved um it's always interesting flying out into the airports uh in the mountain west so 
um, Eagle Airport out in Vail, um, something like that, where you're. It's a little more a little more intense trying to avoid mountainous terrain and and get the aircraft in safely. Cool. We're gonna we're gonna take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors sure. here. And uh, when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna talk about food on airplanes. All right. <laughs> Let me tell you now a story that your blood will chill. And this one's called Hole in the Floor of the Plane by the Sparrows. We'll be right back. Story of the day when I first met my greatest fear. This episode is brought to you by Threes Brewing, a Brooklyn-based brewery known for creating drinkable craft beers that balance complexity and simplicity with a focus on lagers, farmhouse ales, and hop-forward American ales. Threes Brewing makes beer that's good, not just interesting or different. Beer that can be enjoyed without jostling for your attention. Beer that you'll want to revisit over and over again. The brewery itself, located at 333 Douglas Street at the intersection of Brooklyn's Borum Hill, Park Slope, and Gowanus neighborhoods, is a brew pub serving beers from the Three's portfolio and other top breweries, as well as cocktails and wine. While you're there, you can grab a sandwich from the Meat Hook or coffee from 9th Street Espresso. In the evenings, look for live music shows in Tiny Montgomery and a rotating series of DJs in the main bar. The Brewery at Threes is a community space where friends can come together and strangers can become friends, or just drink Constant Disappointment IPA. Visit Threes Brewing at 333 Douglas Street in Brooklyn or their outpost in Greenpoint. Learn more at threesbrewing.com. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and today I have pilot Chris Wolmer on the phone. Uh, Chris, while we took the break, did you get a did you get a call? Do you have to go to the airport to fly today? I did not, fortunately. Okay. All right, so we can finish the interview. Good. Yeah. Uh, when you when you do get called to to go on a flight, um, is it usually a you know? I mean, I guess maybe not usually, but um, you know, I I always imagine that the job of a pilot they say where the crew is based right so i feel like when i get off a plane on the west coast and they say you know thank you for flying with us from your new york based crew i always imagine that the crew is flying from new york to say san francisco and then back in the you know and that that's sort of the route that they're flying is that how it works or do you end up like would you go to san francisco and then get called to fly somewhere else from san francisco and then to somewhere else before you end up home again uh yeah it it all depends. You, you might do a, a couple day long trip where you fly out to San Francisco and lay over in a hotel. Uh, and the next day you might fly up and down the West Coast and um, on your way back to the East Coast the day after that. It, it, it can be three, four, five day trips at a time where you're on the road uh, that entire time. And then there are days uh, where they'll call and, and say you're flying down to, say, Miami and right back to New York, and then I'm finished for the day and get to sleep in my own bed at night. Even though you've been to Miami and back. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so uh, a, a lot of travel in a day, but you're yep. still home at night, which right. is uh, my preference. I'd, right. I'd much rather be home than on the road. Sure. So. When you have vacation time, do you like to fly places? Do you take the train? Do you drive? Do you hike? I do, yeah. Travel's a, a passion for my wife and I, so we do we do quite a bit of traveling on our own time. Um, we've taken some some really great trips recently. We were 
out in Africa on safari for our honeymoon. Um, right. We were in we were in Hawaii for my birthday just a few months ago, and plan on a trip out to Southeast Asia probably for this fall. Oh, very cool! Uh, a couple weeks out there. Yeah. Uh, if you make it to Japan, I definitely have some suggestions for you. Excellent! Excellent. Uh, culinary suggestions, I imagine, right? Uh, of course. I mean, I have I have a lot. You know, there, there, there's a lot a lot to see, in, of course, in Japan. But yes, I have plenty of culinary selection. So, so let's actually move on to, to culinary stuff. I feel like um, sure. in recent years, at least the the food that you are fed as a customer on planes has actually gotten a, gotten a little bit better. I, I definitely feel like the the uh, the 80s and 90s were kind of a very dark time in uh, in airline <laughs> food. I, it seems to have gotten better. I was on a a Delta flight recently, and you know, the option was like a wrap or some cheese and the cheese was actually from murray's so like you know i was oh. like oh that's kind of cool it's you know a much better quality than i would have sort of expected um as a pilot do you end up you know are you served the same food on the plane if you're hungry do you bring a lunch uh oftentimes i, I bring my own food um JetBlue is a little unique in that we have uh some of our aircraft that are configured with uh, a first class cabin uh and then the majority are not configured with that first class cabin and so for the flights, and, and these are uh, transcontinental flights, so out to L.A. and San Fran, like you were talking about before, uh, those aircraft have a first class for the longer the longer mm-hmm. routes, and, and we do serve a lot of uh, actually New York-based food because we're a New York airline on those flights, and, and we are uh, able to eat that same food that we serve the first-class passengers, which is kind of a nice perk on those nice. flights that we don't get on the majority of flights that we do. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, as a passenger, I often bring my own, my own food as well. Do you have a, do you have any sort of tips for listeners about like, uh, you know, good spots in airports? That's something else that I've noticed in, in my recent travel is that, uh, I feel like, you know, it's great that we have things like Shake Shack showing up now at you know, New York airports. <laughs> However, you know, I don't always think that, you know, like a burger and fries is what I want to eat before I get on a cross country flight. Um, whereas I, sure. you know, coming from the West coast, if you're getting on a plane at LAX or at SFO, you know they've got good salads available um you know food that i feel like is a little bit a little bit lighter and not exactly you know not gonna feel like you know you're sitting for six hours with this like rock in your stomach oh sure i yeah i I agree with you there it's the the biggest difficulty that i face is eating healthy and that's why i do try to bring my own food as much as i possibly can and on a on a four or five day trip, it gets a little more difficult keeping that food mm. fresh that you bring with you. Right. So, um, you know, there it, it's always a struggle to find something at the airport that's a little healthier. And and there are more and more healthy options popping up, um, but for the most part, it's a burger or a slice of pizza. Um, it can be difficult to to keep things healthy, um, to keep things light. So. What is your uh, so? If your phone was to ring right now and they were to be sending you on a route, um, which would mm-hmm. and you know what route could pop up on your phone that would make you most excited for a place to go eat? To go eat, hmm. like if you were going um, somewhere and you had a layover, you know, and you knew you were going to have a layover for a night somewhere that you sometimes fly. What's your What's your favorite place to go to? Because I feel like you know when I travel, and I, I would imagine when you and your wife travel, you know where you're going to eat becomes a really important part of the part of the event and you it seems to me are in a unique position to get to do that a little more often than the rest of us on like a one-off basis like you'll end up for somewhere for a night and be able to check out a restaurant so do you have a favorite in some other city that if you're phone rang right now you'd be really excited about sure yeah and it, it, 
it's interesting living here in Brooklyn. Uh, I feel I feel rather spoiled in my food choices. Yeah, so, we are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would almost rather do the flight that I was talking about earlier, where I'm back in Brooklyn at night <laughs> and I can eat here. This is this is still always my favorite place to be. Um, but actually, and, and sometimes it's based on the hotel that we're staying at and what area we're right, in right. Um, and its proximity to restaurants because we don't typically have transportation. So if you want to go eat at a restaurant that's an hour away, you're, you're stuck paying for an Uber or right. a Lyft to get you uh, that distance and back to the restaurant. So uh, the layovers out in Los Angeles, we stay in uh, Koreatown. And there's some some excellent Korean barbecue options out there that I that I'm quite quite fond of. Nice. So that's that's one of my favorites. If they told me right now I was going to LA, I'd be I'd be pretty excited. That, that would that. be what, that would be what's for dinner, huh? Nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when you get on a plane uh, in in the way that you work as an on call, do you often know the co-pilot and the flight attendants, or do you just get on? blind. I mean, I, I have trouble understanding sort of how big an organization, for instance, JetBlue is. Sure. Um, just to give you to give you an idea, and, and we're JetBlue only has about 5% of the domestic market, so we're, we're pretty small compared to the other airlines, United, American, Delta, Southwest, and so on. Um, and, and with us controlling 5% of the market, we still have um, I believe about 3,500 pilots and oh, wow. over 5,000 flight attendants. Got it. So it's it's pretty big. And when I get on the plane, there there are times where I'll know uh, the the other pilot that I'm flying with, or uh, one or two or more of the flight attendants. But probably more frequently than not, I don't know anyone that I'm getting on the plane with. Hmm. Which you know, our procedures become very important because you're working with people you've never worked with before. Right. Right, and so everybody's expected to perform the same the same job and and know what everyone's going to do. Correct. Yeah. Um, when you uh, when you fly uh, for for pleasure, do you like to fly on your own airline, or is that weird? Uh, no, I I actually prefer it. I, um, I I guess it's a shameless plug plug for JetBlue, but <laughs> I I do think we provide a good service and sure. uh, have com- comfortable seats and great snacks and whatnot. So yep. I do like to fly. On my own airline, um, unfortunately, sometimes you're going somewhere where your airline doesn't go, and yeah. we do have reciprocal agreements with the other airlines for um, sometimes free and sometimes discounted uh, tickets to get back and forth to where you're going. So, cool. It's a it's a very nice perk. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh, you know it's it's. I had a my uh, a family friend or a. a, a cousin of my dad's i guess who was a, a mechanic for a long time at northwest and so he mm-hmm. you know he and his family always were able to you know anytime someone had a birthday or an event or anything they would show up because they could it was pretty easy sure. to get yeah. on the flights it gives you a great flexibility i have a few nieces and nephews and I, I try to always make their birthday parties even though they live in chicago right i have the ability to fly on a uh, jump on a plane last minute yep so, um, so speaking of chicago <clears throat> chicago is uh sort of your, uh, you know, hometown, I guess. Right. And, uh, that's correct. Yeah. Being, being from Chicago, um, you know, but now living in Brooklyn, I have to ask, do you prefer a thin crust pizza or a deep dish pizza? <laughs> the question I knew was coming my I way. Figured, I figured, uh, yeah. I, I actually prefer thin crust pizza. Um, Good. although I would say I prefer Chicago thin crust pizza to New York thin crust pizza. And I'm sure, 
I'm sure this uh, local audience is uh, ashamed of me for saying so. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope that I have a, a national audience for Feast Your Ears. So, um, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that's my hope anyway, uh, or even worldwide, hopefully. You know, I, I do have a couple mm-hmm. of listeners. I, I do track it. I have a couple of listeners, you know, like in the dozens uh, in many, many countries around the, around the world. So that's cool. Excellent. Um, so any other Chicago, is there, is there any Chicago food? I mean, obviously there are, you know, people talk about uh, hot dogs in Chicago. Are there any other Chicago foods that you feel like we don't really have in New York? I mean, there's obviously, you know, I, I touched on pizza, which is like the big one, but. Yeah, the uh, hot dogs is an interesting one. Not that the hot dog itself is any different, but uh, maybe the way we dress it in Chicago. Yeah. Um, the the thing that I haven't been able to find much outside of Chicago at all is the Italian beef sandwich, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, a very delicious, specifically Chicago dish, which um, I actually had a, a, an air traffic controller one time as I was flying over Ohio ask me if I ever made my way through Ohio because he knew we were coming from Chicago that day if I would bring him an Italian beef sandwich. <laughs> I of course said yes if I if I ever made it through that way. Right, so. right, right. Oh, that's funny. So, so actually, that uh, I hadn't even I hadn't thought about that. So, do you have uh, sort of like radio friendships with air traffic controllers who you've never met that you've spoken to for twenty years? Uh, there are times where you recognize a certain voice. Right. Um, not not much over kind of you know as you're crisscrossing the country, but more uh, a local controller. So. Right. Um, there's a, a gentleman that worked at New York for a long time and retired about five years ago, and he had a very specific voice on the radio, and, and most of us knew him, although probably most of us never saw him right. in person. Right. Um, it was it was somebody we always knew, and um, he had a kind of a unique way of, of signing off when he would switch you over to uh, the departure controller, and he was working uh, the tower or you know just specifically the airport area. At JFK, he would say, uh, "Good night, great flight." Nice. And um, yeah, I, I kind of miss hearing his voice. Yeah. Um, well, if he's if he's listening, or if anyone who knows him is listening, uh, it would be that would be a fun interview. So you should email me. Um, <laughs> sure. I have one one last plain question, um, mm-hmm. which is about turbulence, which I would imagine a lot of people who meet you and find out you're a pilot ask you about. Um, sure. Uh, are, is turbulence something that at this point you are so used to that it doesn't doesn't bother you at all? Yeah, I would I would say that's that's pretty accurate. It's it's something that's not uh, that's not inherently dangerous to right. the aircraft at all. Um, but it's it's one of those things that makes almost every passenger nervous. Um, sure, I mean I know as soon as we get into turbulent air. Yeah, I mean cognitively I know that it is not dangerous to the aircraft, and that in fact the aircraft is moving a, a minuscule amount. Uh, you know, compared to what it feels like, and that mm-hmm. it's it's more akin to like, you know, I I was once described to me as it's it's you know it's more like driving down like a gravel road than it is like sure. racing over a speed bump and jumping your car. Sure, or or driving a boat in real choppy waters. Right, um, all all similar things. Yeah. The the recommendation I always give to people who are who are specifically afraid of turbulence or maybe more afraid than most people. Uh, there was a, a really great documentary um, made about the, the Boeing 777 mm. that came out uh, when when the aircraft did, um, and you can still find that I think on Netflix or or uh, Amazon Movies, some something along those lines. 
Um, but, but it shows the stress test that they did uh, when they first built the airplane to certify the wing. And they have it in the factory, and they, they show them bending the wings up to, I believe, almost a 70-degree angle <laughs> without the wings suffering any, any damage at all. And it's, it's both impressive and very reassuring to right. people who were, you know, look out and see the, that wing shaking up and down yeah. um, to realize that there is nothing that's going to that's gonna affect the, the structural integrity of that wing. So. Right, right. Um, well, we're we're just about out of time. I wanted to ask, um, you know, if you have any, uh, you know, any any words of advice, uh, anything that people who are flying should keep in mind to make it, you know, to have a better flight for themselves or, or to make it a better flight for you and for the for the flight attendants. Um, boy, um, kind of a general question that yeah. nothing comes to mind. What uh, what were you thinking about? Oh, I mean, you know, I, you I, I feel like when I, you know, when I, when I see people getting on planes, one of the things that I'm always struck by being someone who's old enough to remember when you could, you could check a bag for free, um, mm-hmm. is that the stress that people go through getting on an airplane seems insane to me. I mean, I had a guy, I was oh, getting sure. on a plane last week and a guy pushed in front of me to get on the plane ahead of me. And, you know, as if as if somehow I was going to take his seat. Right. I mean, I, you know, and so I guess, you know, for me, I always think about people should just relax. I mean, like we're all going to be stuck in this little metal tube together for a number of hours anyway. And like pushing into each other and not treating each other with respect and, you know, in a way that you just would never do. I, you know, I find that to be I find it just to be something people should remember more. Yeah, I, I, I guess the best remedy for something like that is is to tell people to get to the airport even a half hour or an hour early than they, earlier than they originally planned. And that way you, you know, you have time to decompress a little bit because it is a stressful environment and, and it's unfortunate the way you see people treat each other yeah. in the airport <laughs> and on the airplane. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Chris, for, uh, for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it seems like you only, you only have a few more hours uh, that you might get whisked away. So perhaps you get to have dinner in Brooklyn tonight. Yeah, that, that would be my preference. I, I appreciate you having me on, Harry. I enjoyed the talk. Thanks very much. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to uh, Feast Your Ears today. Uh, big thank you to Kristen Baylor, my producer here at Feast Your Ears, and David Tattashore for engineering. And a big thank you to JetBlue for not calling Chris and allowing him to uh, to be on today. And uh, But JetBlue is not a supporter of Heritage Radio yet. We'll see what we can do about that. Uh, you can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes. And uh, you can shoot me an email at harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com if you have any questions or suggestions about the show. And if you like the show, please like it on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. And you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.